You're listening to the Diplomats podcast on Asian geopolitics. As always, I'm your host Ankit Panda here in New York City, and this is Prashant Parmeswaran from Washington D.C. How are you doing today, Prashant? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I should note for our listeners that this episode marks the 200th episode that we've done for this podcast. So uh, it's been it's been quite a while that we've been doing this. Uh, we began all the way back in. February 2014. Uh, so I just wanted to thank everyone for uh, listening and supporting the Asia Geopolitics podcast over the years. Um, it's really been rewarding to get your feedback. Um, and if you, again, if you have any suggestions for us or in future topics that you'd like to see, um, just feel free to reach out to either me or Prashant uh, on Twitter or via email. All of that's publicly accessible at the Diplomats website. So uh, yeah, thank you for uh, supporting the podcast throughout the years. Um, so Today, Prashanta, we have a bit of a, um, I guess, sad topic to talk about. Um, we're just a week out from what New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern called the darkest day in the country's history um, after 50 people were killed and another 50 wounded in uh, mass shootings and a terror attack in the city of Christchurch in New Zealand. Um, these attacks were directed at Muslims during Friday prayers uh, in two mosques, uh, the Al-Nur Mosque and Linwood Islamic Center in the city. Uh, and the attacker was a 28-year-old Australian man, a self-identified far-right uh, white ethno-nationalist. He, he identified himself as such. Uh, it was pretty apparent quickly that this attack was an act of terror, given that the attacker had published a manifesto that made clear that this was an attack uh, that had a political motive, right? We need some kind of working definition of terrorism, and you know, a pretty reasonable definition is violence against civilians by a non-state individual or group to further an ideological or political goal or message. So certainly it became very clear as this was occurring that this was an act of white nationalist terrorism in New Zealand. And um, this was the worst mass shooting in uh, New Zealand since uh, the late 1990s. Uh, certainly nothing of this scale has happened in the country in decades. I think the last uh, mass shooting in the, the late 90s had about six fatalities. Uh, and obviously this has shaken New Zealand. And, and the reason we're talking about this really uh, on the Asia Geopolitics podcast is not only is New Zealand in our region of interest, but uh, many of the victims were um, either of origin um, around the Asian continent, uh, and many of the victims were actually citizens of uh, Asian countries, including Afghanistan, Bangladesh, India, Pakistan, Malaysia, and Indonesia. Um, and the Bangladeshi uh, cricket team was actually in Christchurch at the time of the attack and uh, narrowly escaped uh, the initial uh, the initial attack. Um, so this has kind of prompted a uh, a more serious conversation about the transnational nature of far right white ethno nationalism, uh, which at least in the Asian region, has uh, mostly manifested in Australia and New Zealand, uh, both countries that also happen to be part of the Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Agreement with Canada, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Um, but, you know, we've seen we've seen these kinds of attacks uh, also take place uh, in, in other countries around the world, uh, certainly in the United States, Canada, uh, in Norway, where uh, Anders Breivik, one of the uh, um, I guess most notorious uh, terrorists in this uh, in this vein had killed uh, scores of people in 2011 to make a similar message about his fear of uh, immigration from uh, Asia, um, Asia and other parts of the world, Africa, the Middle East, uh, two two countries that have traditionally had white majority populations. So I think that certainly is the context here with the Christchurch shooting. Um, but before we get into some of these uh, other topics, Prashant, I think it's important to talk about the way in which uh, the Christchurch tragedy was perceived in the region, because all of these governments certainly reacted. Um, and Malaysia and Indonesia, I think, are two of the important cases to look at. Uh, Malaysia, I think, is the largest 
um, a Muslim-majority country of origin for immigrants to New Zealand. Um, India is another big one, but it's not a Muslim-majority country, obviously a significant Muslim population there. Um, but I was wondering if you could tell us a bit about uh, the uh, the reaction uh, in those countries and maybe elsewhere in Asia, too. Yeah, I mean, I think the way that you framed it is 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 exactly the right starting point, right? Which is that the reason why we're talking about this on the Geopolitics podcast is that um, even though this is an event that occurred in New Zealand and, and should be viewed primarily from the perspective of what New Zealand has done and how that it affects it, there's also a broader regional conversation that we've talked about in previous episodes of the podcast about the threat of terrorism and, and primarily Islamic radicalism, really, if you look at the focus of the response and the spotlight. But I think the focus of this threat uh, and this specific incident has really elicited uh, changes and also aspects of continuity with respect to the broader regional conversation in a number of ways, right? So the first way is the most obvious one, which we've talked about, which is that if you look at primarily the terrorist attacks that have come through that have made the headlines, that has been primarily from, you know, last year we had um, attacks in churches in Indonesia. Right. The previous year we had um, attacks by the Islamic State in the Philippines. This is something where we are talking about, as you said, primarily far right uh, white nationalist groups. And, you know, that has elicited a separate conversation about, um, you know, the way we treat uh, primarily Islamic groups and, you know, white nationalist far right groups that I think is is really one piece of the conversation that is that is really, you know, sort of uh, you know, bringing together this regional conversation. And that is one aspect which I think we could spend a lot of time talking about, which is, um, you know, a separate piece. And then the other dynamic that I think is part of this regional conversation is just countries trying to come to terms with the fact that really, I mean, the, the reason why these attacks are conducted in places of worship, if you buy into the fact that these terrorists and, and nationalists buy into this perspective of they, they plan these attacks quite strategically. And so the, the fact that this was done in a place of worship is designed to fan, to fan the flames of communal violence, right? Right. Um, and the fact that, you know, there are efforts underway to, to sort of unify the response. And I think the New Zealand prime minister has done that. Um, with respect to saying, you know, the focus should really be on this specific individual and we need to stick together um, as, as part of this sort of intercommunal moment where we take a stance against terrorism. You know, there are voices that are talking about this in terms of very polarizing aspects, you know, whether it's, you know, um, you know, we shouldn't be talking about white nationalism relative to how we're talking about, you know, this this Islamic part of the problem. So I, I think there is that piece of the conversation that's going on. But there's also this other piece that is really interesting to talk about. I mean, there is this regional conversation that's been going on about terrorism and radicalism that's already ongoing. I mean, New Zealand is a part of the Asia-Pacific and the so-called Indo-Pacific. There already have been efforts by Asian countries, including New Zealand, to talk about, you know, the Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Network is something that New Zealand is part of, but there's also this Our Eyes Intelligence Sharing Network that Indonesia and these other countries in the Asia-Pacific has sort of talked about, okay, how do we expand this Five Eyes Intelligence Sharing Network uh, to include other countries so that they can share intelligence and share perspectives on this issue? But I think where we're at right now in the conversation is where, I mean, to be frank, there are aspects of this conversation that are unifying right, with respect to the terrorism threat and Islamic radicalism. But there are aspects of this that pull countries apart. You know, you've seen the, the Turkish leader Recep Tayyip Erdogan, you know, ahead of elections, talk about this in terms of, you know, the West is doing something, whereas us Islamic or Muslim majority countries are doing something else. 
And I think that's kind of where we're at. I mean, which is why it's really interesting to talk about from a, a geopolitics podcast perspective. Yeah. You know, the, the unifying and dividing aspects of this. Right, right, right. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I mean, we should also note that uh, if you wanted to talk about, you know, the Islamic State and what we've seen there, we kind of see the flip side of um, white nationalism and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Islamic State's objective in many ways in carrying out attacks in Western capitals and major cities uh, over the years has been to kind of convey um, and foment really anti-Islamic sentiment in these countries to prove that uh, Islam and Western societies are effectively incompatible, which is very much the message that motivated right. um, this terrorist too. So obviously you see this attack and there is kind of this civilizational clash narrative that you know you have far-right white nationalists and kind of radical Islamists fomenting at the same time. And yeah, to speak about Erdogan, I mean, he's actually been showing the footage that the attacker uh, mm-hmm. live-streamed during the attack, right? So this is another aspect of this that we should probably talk about a bit, which is the fact that this is very much a uh, a 21st century uh, terror attack in the vein of um you know things that we've also seen from the Islamic state with the role of social media uh, the attacker himself um we you know looking at his background at least what's been reported publicly so far uh, you have the classic kind of telltale signs of online radicalization which we've also seen with attackers that have been inspired by the Islamic state um where you know you'll have uh simply you know teenagers or young adults who are you know have never been to Syria or Iraq, but nevertheless carry out attacks uh, supporting the philosophy of the Islamic State. And very much here, we have this transnational network of um, of white nationalist thought. Right, uh, so this guy who uh, shoots up the mosque in uh, Christchurch cites uh, Norway's Breivik, and he cites uh, other figures that he admires that are part of this movement. It's not necessarily as globally cohesive as the Islamic State. Certainly, there's no uh, territory being held uh, by, by an organization like this, but I think many of the same, uh, same dynamics are at play. And that's actually one of the reasons why I think you know the intelligence sharing and, and really treating this as a counterterrorism problem is is so important. Uh, I mean, yes, authorities do focus on white te- uh, white nationalism um, in, and have through history, right? In the United States, certainly there's a long history, mm-hmm. but but certainly uh, the kind of political allocation of attention in the West has mostly been focused on radical Islamic terror. Uh, certainly in the United States, even though you know you had um, the uh, uh, there was a 2017 report by the FBI and the D- uh, Department of Homeland Security in the United States that, for example, noted that white nationalist extremists had killed more Americans uh, and conducted more attacks, actually, between, um, I guess, 2001 and 2017 than any other group, including certainly um, radical Islamic terrorists. But again, you know, we have to uh, account for the counterfactual that, you know, maybe other attacks would have taken place, but some of the Mm. intelligence attention that was devoted to preventing these kinds of uh, those kinds of attacks um, actually was successful and resulted in their prevention. But I think now with what happened in New Zealand, this is going to be a much more uh, serious area of focus. And of course, there are sort of other challenges to this, right? Like in the United States right now, I think the reaction at the highest level of governments here to what happened in Christchurch was rather disappointing, right? We saw President mm-hmm. Trump, um, you know, refuse to uh, condemn white nationalism as a major threat. He said it was just a few people, uh, kind of a diffuse threat. And he immediately deployed uh, the very same quote unquote invaders language that the Christchurch attacker used to describe Muslim Im- immigrants to New Zealand to describe um, Mexicans and Central Americans that are entering the United States from the southern border. So I think, you know, those kinds of um, that kind of rhetoric certainly doesn't help this cause. But but I mean, also, look, there is the, um, you know, the Obama administration put a lot of time and effort into developing a countering violent extremism playbook to effectively address, quote unquote, the root cause of, um, you know, disenchanted youths, primarily um, young Muslim youths, from being drawn into these terrorist ideologies uh, that are 
that were emanating out of the Middle East and elsewhere. And I think a very similar approach is probably necessary with regard to white nationalism, right? There's now there's good evidence that there are a well-known, a well-known range of kind of online forums, message boards, even YouTube, uh, where people are simply exposed to these ideas over time and this accrues um, and, and results in the kind of radicalization that eventually leads a small subset of these radicalized individuals to actually act on this with, with forms of extremist violence, like the kind that we saw uh, in, yep. in Christchurch. No, absolutely. I mean, I think that's, that's a really important point to keep in mind, right? I mean, I think, you know, if you look at the response uh, on terrorism and countering violent extremism, you're right that, I mean, these political tensions that we've seen, I mean, we're dealing with phenomenon like, you know, the rise of global populism and the fact that we have some leaders that have, you know, come into office or pockets of, uh, you know, support in certain countries, you know, including in Australia and New Zealand that are actually promoting, um, you know, anti-Muslim or anti-immigrant uh, sentiment makes it very difficult for a clarity of response that's required to actually get unity of effort, right, among these various countries. Um, and that, you know, it's not just an existential point, right? It's something that matters for policy. So, for example, you know, just one quick example, we talked about the U.S. response um, under the Obama administration against terrorism and violent extremism. One of the reasons why Indonesia did not join the U.S.-led you know, global coalition to counter the Islamic State is the fact that Indonesians and the Indonesian government recognized the fact that the way the United States thought about terrorism and violent extremism was very different from how Indonesia was thinking about it. Um, and these incidents and the way that Washington reacts with respect to, you know, relative to how other capitals react, including Jakarta, you know, only exposes those fissures. So, I, you know, this bridge building effort we're talking about is not just something that, you know, is sort of a, a personal thing or something that has to do with, um, you know, bridge building or people to people connections. It actually affects government policy and how it's perceived, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that, you know, if you're not being inclusive enough in the way that you're dealing with these threats, that prevents or makes it more difficult for other governments to join efforts that actually benefits everyone. I mean, I think everyone benefits from the fact that we're countering terrorism and radical Islamic uh, efforts and white nationalism from the perspective of, you know, the wide variety of threats that we've talked about. Um, but this conversation about how we're distinguishing between one aspect of the threat and another aspect of threat, you know, only makes that conversation more difficult and complicated to have. Yeah, I think, I think, you know, something that we have to kind of account for also uh, in the geopolitics of all this is, uh, I mean, globally in many Western countries, uh, you know, I use the example of Trump. Uh, you even referenced the idea of Erdogan um, really seizing on the narrative that this white nationalist attacker was trying to, uh, you know, foment communal tensions between um, the West and Islam. And we see that elsewhere, right? I mean, we had an acute example of uh, geopolitical tensions rising out from far-right political rhetoric in the wake of the Christchurch attack. Um, there mm -hmm. was the incident concerning um, Senator Fraser Anning in Australia, uh, a well-known far-right um, uh, senator who uh, basically blamed, uh, I mean, he basically supported the message in the manifesto and blamed the victims of the shooting for their fate, effectively condemning um, Muslim immigration, right? So when you have these yep. views effectively being, um, you know, given kind of legitimate airing by, by senior political figures who've been democratically elected, I think that's a much more pernicious problem. And, and you know, we're going to start seeing that between, um, you know, more kind of as a as an issue when certain parties in, in countries, we primarily see this in Europe, uh, end up, uh, you know, taking control of governments. Obviously, Australia's uh, immigration policy uh, has received quite a bit of criticism, even under the fairly um, relatively moderate um, conservative uh, governments uh, of late under Scott Morrison. Um, 
uh, Malcolm Turnbull and uh, and Tony Abbott in recent years. Um, but I think the way Indonesia reacted to Fraser Anning was interesting, right? We saw the Australian ambassador summoned right. uh, in Jakarta, and and really, I mean, this um, this kind of sets up this worrying dynamic that if these issues do continue to be legitimated, uh, not only in politics, you know, there's also a, um, a very important role that media play. You'll have uh, you know far right television networks and shows again giving airtime to these kinds of ideas and views that do foment uh, difficult relations between between these um, distinct countries like Indonesia and Australia. So uh, I think I think that's something to keep in mind too, and uh, and kind of really um, I think I think as far as the geopolitical implications of all this goes, the the role of far right parties and and the media shouldn't be understated at all. No, I, I, that's a really important point to bring up. I mean, the, the media part of this conversation, because I think, you know, we've talked about the nature of the threat and how there can be divergences and how it's interpreted. There's also divergences in terms of how countries respond to that threat. Right? And I think one of the things that came very quickly after the, the New Zealand tragedy is, um, you know, efforts by the New Zealand prime minister to very vocally talk about um, social media and the role that, you know, circulating these videos um, can actually impact and affect how the messaging spreads very quickly and in a very viral fashion. And the fact that, you know, we really need to confront that aspect. Now, that is something which some countries have talked about very frankly in terms of, you know, taking into account what Facebook's role is and some of these social media platforms. But I think other countries, because of various reasons, including differences of political views, their political systems, uh, the role of companies relative to the government, they have been a, a bit hesitant to talk about social media regulation and, and speech regulation, really, um, in terms of how they respond to it. And so I, I do think that's another interesting aspect of this conversation. I mean, we, we talk about, you know, geopolitics and how that's being influenced. I mean, a lot of the conversations that we've been having, it's very clear, right? Like in responding to these various threats, you know, the people, the population, the media climate really has a big impact as to how countries respond, mm -hmm. uh, particularly with some of these terrorist incidents where you can see very quick ripple effects. So that media piece of the conversation is, is going to be really important going forward as well. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, we should state that uh, I think the way um, New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern has handled the response has been widely praised across the region. Um, and I think that's an important example. Uh, of course, you know, I think a lot of kind of coverage has missed the fact that uh, if you look at the domestic politics in New Zealand right now, you have a very strange sort of coalition arrangement where uh, you right. have a far right party in alliance with uh, the progressives who are led by Jacinda Ardern, right? Winston Peters, the deputy prime minister and foreign minister of New Zealand, for example, has his own history of uh, blatantly mm -hmm. racist remarks. Um, so that, I think, again, you know, goes back to this idea of um, the importance of domestic politics and, and the growing role of far right politics uh, in many uh, in many Western states. But I think broadly her her reaction was probably, um, I think, I think one of the better ways that New Zealand could have handled this, uh, this tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. Right, Prashant, I think we'll, uh, we'll leave it there uh, for this episode. And um, I think uh, next time we'll probably uh, come back to uh, events elsewhere, elsewhere in Asia. But this is certainly, I think, a topic that we haven't discussed a lot in the past. And I think people are going to take more interest in this issue, uh, certainly in the coming years, as as it becomes clearer than ever, that um, far right white nationalism is is as real of a terror threat as uh, the threat posed by uh, radical Islamic groups. So uh, thanks for joining mm -hmm. me. Good to be with you.
Great. Uh, and like I said at the beginning of the podcast, uh, thank you again for supporting the Asia Geopolitics podcast through uh, 200 episodes over the last five years, uh, half a decade of uh, podcasts. So uh, if you if you like what you've heard, but you haven't yet subscribed, uh, maybe you started listening to this podcast not too long ago, I hope you'll go ahead and subscribe. You can do that on iTunes uh, or Google Play or a range of other outlets. And um, if you haven't yet left us a review, but you've been a subscriber for a while, uh, please go ahead and do that on uh, any platform of your choice that really helps get the word out about this podcast. Uh, So thanks a lot for listening, and we'll be back next week with more.